0: This is Anita Switlow. I uh, we're somewhat having our own kind of reunion here. Yes. We have uh, Bergen Amran, Gil Mervin, and our guests, our special guest, Phil and Bartle. Is it that, yes, that, yeah, that, it's that it's the part right part way to yeah. say it? Yeah. Um, I I am so pleased to see, uh, meet you. I've heard about you. Right. I'm kind of somewhat in- intimidated by you because <laughs> well, you know, I know so much. To be <laughs> Because I've heard so much Well, I heard a lot about
1: you, too. Oh, right. You're a fantastic (laughs) organizer, so (laughs) you have skills I don't have, so...
0: Well, I would like to dig into finding out more about uh, your connection to QSO VSO. So, first of all, I have to say that Bergen, who worked with uh,
1: QSO for a short period, who's
0: your friend, was your friend... He's my friend
1: since 1960.
0: Since elementary school?
1: No, we met when we were in grade 12. Grade 12, okay. But we were not going to the same school. All right. I crashed a party that he was at.
0: <laughs> and then you meet each other again and continue? Oh, we,
1: all through university, we had courses together, and then we stayed in contact. I went overseas with Kyuso. He stayed back. Then he went off to uh, uh, Papua New Guinea. Yes. And we had interesting experiences. So We always had lots to talk about when we got back to meet each other again. So and like he says, we've been on Skype you know, every couple of weeks, but we have not physically seen each other for 15 years.
0: This is fantastic. Isn't that something? And then we, uh, yes, this is great. Today's been a very special day for me. Um, so meeting you is even better. So tell me something. How did you, what were you doing before you volunteered with GUSO? Uh May of
1: 65 uh, was a watershed month. In fact, the fifth of May was the watershed day. I had just finished my got my degree, my bachelor's degree in economics.
0: Yes. And
1: what university? University of B.C. Okay. I had been a member of International House and a, and a supporter <laughs> of of CUSO, and and uh, Jack was the head of International House. He wanted me to join CUSO. Okay. But meanwhile, I had got my commission in the. Royal Clinton Air Force, and had was very seriously consider I was invited to switch over from reserve to regular force. And so that particular day I had to make up my mind. And when CUSO said they wanted me, I said, that's it. And so it was really a watershed, because um, if I'd gone into the Air Force, i doubt whether I would have had any international experience, but by going over with CUSO, and after my two years volunteers, I spent one year on the road, went through 40 different countries in Africa and Asia to see how poor people lived. I was very interested to see, it cost me $500 for the one year, it took me 51 weeks to get home. And uh, I was hooked from then on, I've, I've been an aid worker. I've alternated between being an aid worker and a university professor, back and forth. All these years? Most of my life. Yeah.
0: So where did you go and serve with QSO?
1: I, <laughs> that was the story, too. I had applied for East Africa. And I was actually selected to go to Kenya. Mm-hmm. And I spent a couple months in my father's orchard in a tent learning Swahili out of a book. No <laughs> tape, no... no Jambo. <laughs> yeah, jambo, ham, jambo, who jambo, all that sort of stuff. And um, when I got to, to the... Uh, orientation. They said, sorry, your job fell through because Odingo Ogingo uh, was the vice president
0: President. at that
1: time, and of course he's a Marxist, and he said, nobody from a Western nation shall teach an interpretive subject. So they said, sorry, your job's been canceled. Would you like to go somewhere else with send telexes to CUSO offices? And I said, sure, I've said goodbye. I don't feel like going home. Um, Secondly, I'm really interested to go almost anywhere. And they sit telexes, and one came back from Ghana. I didn't know what country I was going to until three days before I left. (laughs) Oh, God. So I couldn't ship my trunk, so it went in the Air Force airplane that we took. We went, sat on a Yukon airplane sitting backwards because in those days... That's what Canada's donation was was transport.
0: Okay, so I've heard this before that a whole group of QSO volunteers would go on on Air Force planes.
1: Yes, we did, and we stopped overnight. Well, overnight for us because it was a change in day to night in uh, at Three Wing in um, France, and uh, the officers made us very welcome. Barney Dobson who played the the banjo, and I played the guitar, and we had a lot of sing songs and. We were singing, you know, anti-war songs, and I want to go to Andorra. Come by. And, uh, and that sort of stuff, and so the um, <laughs> the air force officers that had welcomed us were just a little bit apprehensive about what kind of people we were. Yes. But uh, then we went off, and same airplane, stopped in Ivory Coast, and up uh, it ended up in India. It wow. went to, from there to Ghana, where I got off. And
0: wow! So all, all they, these people were getting off, getting to, off okay, the plane. Okay, tell me some names of people that were on that plane with you. Do you remember? No. No. It were just all like I know
1: there was the Campbell couple.
0: The Campbell couple? Yeah. Like in Gordon Campbell?
1: No, I don't know her name anymore. Okay They were newly married. Okay. Um I know when we got to Ghana there were the Tejeman twins okay. and they were two Kiso girls that had just finished their two years and put on a big party and, and <laughs> and Anne food for us when we arrived. Yes. They were excited. We were just tired. Yeah. Uh, it was quite a difference in our approach to things. So after,
0: um, after you get there,
1: yeah.
0: And uh, in those days, did they have an orientation?
1: We had orientation general at York University mm-hmm. for uh, four or five weeks, and then we had two weeks at McGill for the Africanists, and uh, and then we had another two weeks at University of Ghana. At Legon. now when I went there having three days before I was actually going to go there was a couple of uh, Ghanaian university students that were hired to teach uh, the tree language even to people not going to tree speaking areas it was really
0: strange pretty,
1: <laughs> pretty amateur in those days so I asked them how do you say hello and goodbye thank you please? and please They is well you don't say hello you say good morning good afternoon good evening and then you reply Yanya. Now they were wrong. that you, you you reply Yanya, which means reply to equal or lower status, and it means reply to brother or sister. So after all the orientations we got there when the school hadn't opened, I was sitting on the stoop of the of the uh, the bungalow they'd assigned me and with a Ghanaian a new friend there and, and this lady comes out of the woods and she's got you know hundred and fifty pounds of cordwood on her head, a kid on the back, kid inside, uh, carrying machete and a and a and a hoe, sweating to beat hell. And she greets greets me, O Bruni, that means, you know, white person. Oh Bruni ma, ma Jo, which means good evenings. I I, I can practice my chi. And I said, Yanya. Well, she got back to me and just said, and Casa Yanya Maya Wopani Casa Ya enna. I you say, How in the hell did I remember that? It's because my my Ghanaian <laughs> friend and teacher translated it for me, and she said, don't reply to equal or brother to me. I'm your senior. Reply, yana, which means reply to mother. Oh, and I, see. I resolved that I would learn the language. And you did. Well, there were 28 Cusos with me at that year, and they had all taken six weeks of tree of, of training. I was the only one by the end of even the first year I was fluent. You fluent. But by, th- by the end of the second year I was...
0: Can you spell the name of the language?
1: T-W-I.
0: T-W-I.
1: Yeah, the, the letter T Tui. and W yeah. is not T-W as it is in English. Chui. It's T-W because it's Chui. like, you know, in English when we put T and H, it's not her. No. It's 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 an invented Chui. dip song. So T-W is Chui. Chui. Okay. So so make your lips say V. Yeah, and your tongue say chi and do it at the same time, and it comes out chi.
0: Okay, I got it. That was a good description. <laughs> right. So you, what were to you the doing there?
1: Well, I I w- I'd set up the economics department. It was a Catholic uh, seminary and high school, and. Uh,
0: what was the name of it? Do you remember? Saint Peter's School. Okay.
1: And it had a very good reputation. 100 percent pass on the West African Examinations Council. Oh wow. But I had time, and so I had gone off to a nearby community where I had met the chief. I didn't know when I met him that he was this very, very senior and powerful chief. And so I spent many of my weekends there, and one day he said, bring schnapps, and I did, and they poured it to the ancestors, and I was adopted then as the son of the chief. Aww. And uh, learned the culture to the point where... After I went back in Canada, I changed from economics to an- economic anthropology oh. to go back and do my Ph.D. in Ghana, studying the uh, cultural economics of of tree culture. So I did an ethnography of Oboe, the town that uh, Obo. that was the chief that had adopted me. So um, you know, by that time I could speak the language well enough to. Did all my research myself. I didn't have to hire
0: interpreter. A, an interpreter
1: or any of that sort of <gasps> stuff.
0: Wonderful. So I'm trying to imagine this young man that came from, you came from the West Coast here, from and Vancouver? Look at me now, and
1: I weighed 128 pounds. <laughs> and so
0: you came from Vancouver?
1: I came from Vancouver. Well, okay. I was raised in the Okanagan Valley.
0: Raised in the Okanagan yes. Valley. In what, ta- what town in the
1: Okanagan? A place called Lakeview Heights on the west side from Kelowna.
0: Okay, yeah. so Lakeview Heights boy ends up in Ghana. Yeah. Um, what's going through your mind? What do you think? What were the people? I don't people recall th-
1: having a mind. I think I never even thought about what I was thinking.
0: About, about the it. change in culture, the change.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you're always prepared to adapt and change. When you you're were. In a new culture. Yes. The problem came. The real culture shock came. After three years, like two years as a volunteer and a year in, 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 in traveling through the world, I got back and then culture shock hit me like hell. I had changed. Yes. My own culture had changed. And I thought knew what my, my old culture was and it wasn't the same. There were vast differences in values within those three years, in me and in the culture around me. And I ended up having to uh, seek some medical help. Stressful. I, was very stressful that so the return the return entry that's where the real culture shock problem is. and when you go overseas you know that things are going to be different so you're prepared to learn something but what you think you know what you've left and you've changed and it's changed like the Buddha say you know the same man can't cross the same river twice okay both the man and the river change
0: Did you go on to work in international development after that?
1: Well, yes. Uh, I came back to Ghana on a Commonwealth scholarship, paid by the Ghana government after I did my master's degree. And then I set up anthropology department at Kaplana College. Oh, you did that? Yes. Okay. And then um, uh, I got a, a scholarship, and I went to do my PhD at University of Ghana uh... the scholarship ran out after about five years and took me about nine years to do it so i got a job teaching as a senior lecturer at University of Cape Coast and uh... Th- from then on like I, I had j- job interviews up and down the east coast but nothing came through I was teaching at at uh, Concordia University oh okay and I got a, a, a a, a call would I be interested to go on a CETA job and it was organized by a, um, a an engineering company out of Winnipeg called Wardrop. and uh, so I went off to northern Ghana as a CUSA volunteer
0: as a CETA uh, as a CETA, a CETA staffer
1: as a, as a CETA cooperative but mm-hmm. not paid by CETA but paid by the company and those days, oh, they had shifted over to doing contracts instead of direct hire
0: so now when you mention cultural, uh, cultr- no, you said economic anthrop, no, anthrop- well, how did you My say My
1: degree it? is in economic anthropology. Economic An- is, yeah.
0: Okay, so I uh, we had uh, Dr. John Halliwell uh, speak about the happiness index.
1: Oh, right, yeah, Bhutan uh, said it up, yeah.
0: Yeah, so tell me about... When the you know when you're where where you were in Ghana, it seems like that part of the world entered your body and your heart, in a big uh, way.
1: Oh, it entered my heart. That's for sure. It did,
0: didn't it? Oh yeah. So if you when it when they you say think say your
1: first country is your always oh, your first love. Yes. Even though I went to many other countries. Oh yes. Ghana has remained. Yeah.
0: A special place in that's your right, heart. Yeah. So what other countries did you did oh, you work in? A lot I of. I worked
1: of in many other countries. I worked. A couple of years in Ethiopia, four years in Uganda, uh, two years in Pakistan, uh, sorry, two years in uh, Somalia and northern Kenya, wow. four years in Afghanistan, wow. uh, and short-term missions in many, many places.
0: And all for the Canadian government in different… Oh,
1: no. Sometimes it was for NGOs. Yes. Like in Pakistan, I worked for Swedish Save the Children. Oh. Uh, other times it was for companies like Wardrop and for a good company I worked for, which is Co Water in uh, Ottawa, that was in Mozambique. Other times uh, for the UN I worked directly for UNHCR, and that was in Mandera. and I worked in uh, uh, worked in UNCHS, which is Habitat, in, uh, in Uganda. So I worked for UN, local governments. Uh, private companies and NGOs, and then directly with aid agencies.
0: So the impact of that first volunteer experience with CUSO really seems to have affected your whole life.
1: That's why I called it a watershed, because my whole life uh, became colored by and dictated by the fact that I'd gone over with CUSO and fell in love with international work.
0: And what do you na- now? these days, you still follow international development, all kinds of things. I know you do. Uh, what would you say to a young person, not so young nowadays, that we recruit people around forty? Our average year uh, age of is around forty. Yeah. What would you say to this mid-career person about going overseas do and it. development?
1: Do it. I think <laughs> first reason Canadians well, not as bad as Americans are, but are quite unaware of the world around them. And Canadians benefit from working in different cultures. It opens their minds. Uh, It makes them more tolerant. And you actually become, I think, you you come to love your country by working elsewhere. You see there are problems. I certainly did. Uh, That's one reason. Another is... um, I think when you go to a a developing country, you really need some skill. And that means the energy for management and organizing, as well as some technical skill. And people in mid-career are at the peak of that capability. So they have, to my mind, the most to offer. It's the 19-year-old good do-gooder who hasn't got any skills at all could be a pain in the ass. They could be really a problem rather than a solution.
0: Uh
1: However, I wouldn't stop at retired people. If somebody's sixty five or seventy Oh,
0: they're still applying.
1: And they should and and they're they're coming with a tremendous background of experience, knowledge, and skills that are gonna make them useful overseas. Now
0: I'm going to ask you a hard question. Hard for me to ask because we send volunteers overseas to share skills. But do you really think that this is... I'm just thinking about your educational background and your expertise. Mm, should we still be doing this? Yes. Why should we still be doing it? You've described...
1: I, I have, I have, in fact, published and I have also teach, taught... Um, that we spent a trillion dollars of aid in the last half a century, and there's more poverty and more yeah. uh, misgovernment, etc. Yes, That's not the problem of the fact of aid. Yes, It's the problem of how we deliver. And what we deliver ah. is charity. And charity makes people dependent. And dependence is exactly what we should be opposed to. But there's other ways of delivering assistance that helps people to become more self-reliant. That's why I've spent as much time as I have here on the internet uh, training people how to work with communities to make them independent.
0: Not dependent.
1: Rather than dependent, because the dependency causes the poverty. It also encourages corruption. Yeah. It encourages uh, genuinely bad mismanagement and so on. Whereas uh, the training material I have, I'm now getting 100 page views a month.
0: What is that material? Not
1: 100, a million.
0: What is that? What's this material you're talking about? Well, it it teaches
1: people Mm -hmm. how to go into a community and say, do you want to become self-reliant? And I say, so no, what have you got for us? You walk away. Okay. But if they say yes, then there's... About two hundred different training documents on what to do next. I couldn't summarize it in one
0: Okay, what's sentence. the name of the website?
1: Community empowerment.
0: W community empowerment dot
1: No, that's a domain name. I don't have a domain name. Oh, okay. It's ww dot scn S C N dot org slash C M P. Okay. The reason for that is because we have got free internet space at the Seattle Community Network, that's the SCN, which is a donation from the Seattle uh, Library. So we have more than 12,000 training documents in 40 languages on their site for free. Uh, And that's why we have the SCN in our uh, web address.
0: You're speaking in plural, we, our, who are we?
1: Well, uh, see, people kept saying, can you get a translation? When I started this in 95, and so I started putting up pages saying, we need a volunteer until a lady came along and she's the wife of a, of a Spanish guy that works for the European Union and lives in Belgium and started translating into Spanish for me. Oh, wow, okay. And she said, why don't you check with the UNV? United Nations Volunteers. They have a website where they recruit online volunteers. That's right. So I did, and said, well, you have to be an organization. You have to be registered as a proper NGO. I said, fine. So I called together a half dozen friends. We went to Tim Hortons, and we said, we're now an NGO. And uh, we spent $25 for registration fee Mm -hmm. and went downtown to the ministry and got were registered in Victoria as a non-profit agency and uh, we started recruiting volunteers through the UNV and then there's about four or maybe five other uh, sites like um, idealist org and uh, village with uh, charity, charity village yeah that will also recruit volunteers Wow and we now have an online organization of 300 people, as I say, translating into 40 languages. Um, wow. And... Uh,
0: Who's writing the documents?
1: I do. You do. Well, I, I wrote most of them 10 years ago. I, right now, it's mostly translating. Okay. Although, I, I, two or three times a year, I get to write up a new document. But they're less training and more like uh, essays so and, the and, the, and that that NGO then uh, is active. It has a chairperson who's in town here, mm-hmm. and uh, members mm-hmm. of the board of directors from various okay. places around the world. So
0: your saga just goes on. When I say
1: we, I mean us,
0: like a whole bunch of people. Yeah.
1: Well, I see. I know that I'm deteriorating physically quite rapidly because of my diabetes and other problems. Your
0: health issues. Um,
1: I know I can't stay on it forever, so I wanted this NGO become ongoing and sustaining so if I set it up that way the actual material has been written It's a matter now of translating and I'm sitting more and more back in background and advising and
0: that's good rep- leadership
1: replying to uh, <laughs> replying to questions from the field yes and stuff like that Wonderful. and uh, the organization of translators is pretty well self-sustaining Wonderful. So
0: something you wrote many years ago, do you still find it relevant today?
1: I wrote that material over a 40-year period of being in the field. Okay. And it's still radical. It's still considered to be slightly unorthodox. Oh, my God. And I figure if it's unorthodox, it must be relevant.
0: All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been an absolutely wonderful visit, and I can't thank you enough for your service with QSO-VSO. I mean, I say it together now, as you know, we merged.
1: Right, I love that. (laughs) I think that's great. Some of my best, uh, the people I admired in the field were VSO volunteers. Wonderful. So when Canada formed the VSO was great, and then now Canada VSO and QSO, I think that was the great union.
0: Oh, thank you. That's great. Well, it's working. It's working. Yeah, that's good. It's working well. And uh, I wanted to just tell you that you're part of fifteen thousand people that went overseas and served with CUSO and v s o and uh, over thirty five million hours of service, and I know i 'm underestimating yeah so think about it one hour for almost every Canadian out there
1: that's great
0: and you were a big part of that, yeah. and you continued that for the rest of your life. Well, I learned
1: to do community work even though I was a teacher because I spent my weekends first of all in the community where I was adopted and then Help them when they're building a school and stuff like that. So I learned this particular methodology in the field by hand. So starting from 1960, I started writing documents of how to do it. So uh, uh, that, that that material goes back a long way, but not all of it.
0: We'll dig in. We will all dig in and look at that stuff. Me too. And, and a wonderful uh, legacy to international development. Uh, Lots of people speak very highly of you, Mr. Martel. No kidding! Yes, I should I'll say Dr.
1: Martel. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Okay. But uh, I speak highly of Cuso. I, I think that has been, like I say, a watershed in my life. And without that Cuso experience, I would never have had any, anything like the kind of life I've had. No money in it. What the heck?
0: That's a perfect sign-off. Thank you, Phil. Have a great time, and I hope to see you at the reunion. Yeah.